Hi, this is David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, Josh and I have a lot of fun doing this podcast, and we also try to keep it very informational with newsmaker interviews, and and we try to do our research, too, before we get on here and pontificate. I hope that you find the podcast informative and entertaining. So if you do, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to rate us, subscribe to us, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is you're using to listen to us. Please do that. That will help us to move up in the rankings and also to uh, get more people to tune in. So if you're a fan of Alabama politics this week, I hope you'll do that for us. Thanks. boys and girls another episode your favorite alabama politics podcast alabama politics this week with josh moon and and david person oh, and i think you. this is going to be an education for me yeah. today oh yeah uh, uh, david does not know all of the details of the john merrill saga uh which we're going well, to uh we're going to get into <laughs> right now uh and I, I definitely don't know yeah. all the details yeah. and we're probably not going to go into all of the details <laughs> okay yeah um uh, but uh in addition to that uh, we're also uh-huh. going to talk about our, our man um or talk with our man, John Archibald, Pulitzer winner, uh, got a new book out, uh, Shaking the Gates of Hell, that's doing doing very well. Um, and uh, so we're going to have him on uh, to discuss the book and uh, and also rub his nose in the fact that he's not here for this uh, fantastic scandal that's taking place. Um, <laughs> so, but before we get to Mr. Archibald and, and other things, that's... Uh, well, let's recap where we are. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, there is one expected entrant into the U.S. Senate race in Alabama uh, that is no longer going to be in that Senate race or in any other race in 2022. John Merrill, our Secretary of State, who has appeared on this very podcast. Just uh, not too long ago. Yeah, to, to argue with your, uh, your favorite hosts uh, about uh, Bible verses and stuff. Um, mm-hmm has decided to uh, to withdraw from politics for a period of time uh, as he kind of gets life in order after what has been a pretty hellacious couple of days, uh, starting with, uh, I guess it was Tuesday, a, a story appeared in on a website called National File. What the hell that is, I don't know. Never heard. Uh, yeah, I don't no, think I've ever heard, heard of it. it. It's it's yeah. essentially a website somebody set up to to do hit jobs on politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this really is what it is. And so some person there who I, calls himself a reporter uh, got an interview with a lady, Cesare McPherson, uh, and I, I hope I'm pronouncing her first name. Yeah, right. I, I can't tell how to pronounce her name. Yeah, it yeah. is C E S A I R E. So I assume Cesare. Is the correct pronunciation of that? Um, mm. uh, this lady, she is uh, she works in Birmingham, or I mean, I'm sorry, Montgomery, and has uh, worked for a variety of attorneys, 
apparently had something at some point to do with the Alabama Supreme Court. It sounded in the audio recording that I listened to that she was working possibly for Mike Boland, but don't hold Mike Boland to that uh, because I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but it sounded as though she was she was work, she was definitely doing something for the Supreme Court. Um, okay. and, and so she, at a point in time in 2019, began having uh, an affair, according to her words, uh, with John Merrill. Uh, and this affair went on for uh, over a year, 16 months or so, uh, hmm. and took place. You know, they met up at a variety of different places, mainly his apartment in, in Montgomery that he keeps uh, when he's there during the week, you know, as the Secretary of State. And Well, where uh, does he live when he's not there? Tuscaloosa. He, oh, he, yeah, well, okay. I believe that's correct. Okay. I believe he, he lives, he resides primarily in Tuscaloosa. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Uh, but so, you know, there. And this story in the national file uh, included some details that mm-hmm. were just, I, I don't, I'll say this. When I read it, I thought the details are so graphic and there are so, so many things, so many things said that you could mm-hmm. almost say, <sighs> Who would say these sorts of things? Of course, this is untrue. Listen, there's a crazy person talking, hmm. um, which is kind of the tactic that Merrill took. Uh, but on the other hand, if it were true, <laughs> mm-hmm. you were dealing with a person who quite clearly had uh, had record had audio recordings and, and probably video recordings as well, uh, and and that's essentially what took place uh, immediately. So, oh, so you great day. No, I'm just trying. I'm trying to get you to get to the details, man. Uh, we want to uh, know what are well, the salacious details. So there were. Uh, well, I'll, I'll say this: the mm-hmm. the title of the article included the word "anal" uh, on it. Uh, okay. And, and, yeah, and not in the way okay. of uh, you know, is is a very detail oriented person. Um, and mm. uh, and there were talk of 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 sex toys and sex acts. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, physical characteristics of genitalia. Uh, oh my! Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh my! Indeed. Uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, yeah. It was. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many messages I, I received from people. Uh, who, who the the gist of the message was essentially, "Oh my God, these details! I can't read this anymore." <laughs> um, I mean. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, and I'm talking about like from other from other men, you know. It was not yeah. like women oh, saying, "Wow, it. yeah." Okay. Other men were oh. like, "Jesus Christ, what is this?" Um, uh, so, I mean, it was. Listen, man, and and mm. the thing of it was, is the audio was even worse. Uh, I mean, because mm. the audio, it was. It's one thing to read somebody saying these things and to imagine imagine them being said in in a particular voice that you have assigned to the person that's speaking. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to hear them speaking in their own voice with their own inflections and the way they're saying things and to listen to that. And it yeah. was it made it it made it a lot worse for John Merrill that that audio was included in there. So um, can can we stipulate to a couple things? Sure. All right, let's stipulate to this. First of all, I think we would both agree it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican or an independent or whatever you are. Uh-huh. Uh, it is it's always um, an unfortunate thing when a married person gets caught in a sexual scandal uh-huh. because not only 
does it affect that person and whoever they were allegedly involved with? It reverberates and it affects children, spouses, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. mothers, fathers, family members. Yeah. And that's and that's a tragic thing. That's a real tragic thing. People get pulled into this muck and mire that did not ask to be there. So that's that's unfortunate. And I feel sorry for uh, John Merrill's family and uh, the accuser's family, if she has any. Uh, family members, uh, spouse, or whomever. Yeah, uh, having, hmm? no, I'm sorry. I I, I want to I want to say you know that that's one of the main reasons I don't I don't do stories like that. Uh, hmm. You know, I don't I don't I'm not chasing somebody's girlfriends. I don't care about somebody's infidelity. Um, hmm. You know that that's a personal thing. Uh, you know, and I'll say there, there's a line in everything where you know, let's say. Uh, you know, uh, public money has been expended in some way to right. uh, facilitate or cover something. That's up. different. Well, then I'm, you know, then I'm interested That's in right. that. Or right. in, in in addition to that, something, <laughs> um, you know, something that that ties into their job or their stances that they've taken in, in ways right. that they have hurt somebody else. Uh, That's you know, right. Uh, passing a law against uh, gay marriage, for example, that's while right. you are in in fact going over here and, and having a, a, a gay affair, you know, that's what I right. Mean? Same sex, uh, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it's it, it that to me is yeah. it, you know is are some lines in there, but I even in those I, I don't really like to get involved in the things, you know. But I think it's necessary if yeah. public policy is involved, if public finances are involved, then it is the public's yeah. business, yeah. And 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 that's a failure of the of the elected official to keep his, to truly keep his or her private life private. Mm-hmm. Now I will also say, and I think you'll agree with me on this as well, that we personally don't care who's schlepping who, you know, no. you no. know, whoever you're sleeping with, same sex, not same sex, right. whatever your sexual picadillos are, who cares, man, that's yes. your business. You know, truth be told, we've all got our little, you know, sexual little preferences and things that, we engage in with whomever we engage in the, mm-hmm. with them in. So, you know, we don't that that's not what's a, what's at issue here. I think what's at issue here is you got somebody who has, I think, positioned himself as a staunch moralist mm-hmm. who we now discover is not a staunch moralist. No. Now, does that disqualify him from serving? I don't think so. I think he's humiliated, though, and it will probably yeah. impact his his ability to serve effectively. But do I think he should be removed from office? Absolutely not. Well, um, you know, well, unless unless yeah. unless going back to our point. Yeah. Did he use public money? Yeah. And, and I think that's a good, uh, that's a question that, that's going to have to be answered uh, yeah. here. And, you know, and we're going to have to dig through some some things, some records and some financial things that, to see. And uh, but I'll, I'll say this, uh, too. Uh, the way that John Merrill handled this was as idiotic. Yep. And I, I mean, just politically stupid and common sense stupid. So walk um, us through what you think he should have uh, okay, done. I've got my own ideas, but uh, I want to hear what yours are. All right. So let me I, I, let me just tell you kind of what happened, and then we can we'll, we'll talk about. It. So okay. after this this story broke uh, on Tuesday, and people started sharing the the thing around, uh, we contacted Merrill and asked him for a comment about this, and and so he mm-hmm. sent us this lengthy statement. 
that essentially called this woman a stalker. Well, actually, not essentially. He did call this woman a stalker. Said she stalked mm-hmm. him. Uh, she became obsessed with him. Uh, she obviously had other intentions with him. Uh, he had to block her. His staff, would, you know, she started bothering his staff, and he, they had to get rid of her. Uh, and all the and it's completely untrue. And and, and the it was a fake the fake news media at it again. Mm. So then the next day. Uh, AL.com, uh, Kyle Whitmire, who also has been on this fine podcast, uh, yes. as, uh, and, and Connor Sheets, who has not yet, but maybe one day, uh, and, and contacted her, uh, the McPherson lady and asked her, uh, for, uh, you know, additional comments. And this is what Merrill's saying. He's denying all this stuff, calling it a stalker. Um, and she basically said, listen, I'm not saying anything more about this, but here is a tape of us discussing the sex that we've had. And so she sent them a tape and it mm-hmm. was pretty clearly John Merrill, uh, talking mm-hmm. back and forth with her on this tape. And, um, uh, Kyle had already spoken to to Merrill that morning. He had denied it again, calling her a stalker, called him back and said, hey, we've got this recording. I want you to listen to a portion of it, played a portion of it. And basically immediately Merrill said, well, yeah, it's me. That's, uh, you know, I've, I've pretty clearly done this. Uh, and that's, a, that's the end. That's a wrap for the old career. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but this is. So what do you think he should have done? Well, uh, first of all, what he should have done some time ago is mm-hmm. apparently there is a very big issues within the Merrill, you know, family and between him and his wife. Uh, okay. This is I, I don't think this was not a surprise to anybody in Alabama who's covered Alabama politics in, with any depth for a period of time. All right. That, that Merrill was uh, having these sorts of issues and things. Uh, so no, but, when you say these sorts of issues, you mean women, not just not just marital issues with his wife, but that he was engaged in. Mm-hmm. Extramarital affairs. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, and and I and I don't want to you know make accusations just randomly like that. But I I'll just say that there are, were a ton of rumors out there about mm-hmm. this sort of thing, and I, I don't understand why at some point if this is going to be you, you've got to be more aware of what's going on. Uh, and you can't just keep things like this hidden if you have higher political aspirations. And so if you're going to have those aspirations and you're going to continue to run for office there, you've got to figure out what the best way is for you to to handle these things. And to me, the best thing was either to say, look, you know, we're we're going to have to get a you know we're going to have to get a divorce uh, or or whatever and, and and clear these lines out that people think you've crossed, mm-hmm. um, you know. But above that, even if okay, if you haven't done that, you can't that night come out and call this lady a stalker mm-hmm. and say these things about her, uh, knowing that you did it. And knowing that she's not lying because she she says in the interviews, I've got audio and video recordings of us together. Mm. You've got to know that she's not lying. And so yeah. you can't come out and just kind of go full bore after her, calling her a stalker and that saying that she's crazy and, and denying everything when you know she has these things because the next step is uh, an atomic bomb on your political career. And and that's what happened here is, is this. And I... I I'll say this. I think there's probably an explanation uh, for what Merrill was doing uh, that is not just as simple as a, a, an affair 
uh, you know, a one-time affair sort of thing. I think that they're, you know, in the in the thing that the lady talked about, uh, you know, she thought his wife knew this whole time what was going on, and uh, you know, and so I. I so you think, think there was an open marriage? I don't know if it was an open marriage or if it was, you know, there's a lot of times you'll hear stories of of older couple, couples who've been together for a long time just kind of waiting on the kids to get out of the house, you know, right, um, right. before they go their separate ways. Uh, and it's not an an acrimonious thing. You know, they're, they're mm-hmm. not at each other's throats. They don't hate each other or anything. They just, you know, life life yeah. happens, you know, in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. And, and you, mm-hmm. you get different. And these are these are real life things. And people can yeah. can can, you know, can act like it's not a real life thing. But it is. It is. A, it's well, a real life deal. Well, I think there are a lot of people who live just the way you have described. Mm-hmm. They either are waiting for the children to leave so that they can go their separate ways or for economic reasons, mm-hmm. political reasons, or some other strategic reason, they just decide, you know what, we need to stay in the same house. Yep. But, you know, you sleep in that room, I'll sleep in this room. And we live basically separate lives. We're not going to church together. We're not going out to dinner together. And as long as it's not obvious to people that we're not together, meaning if you're going to get involved with somebody, you do it very discreetly. Yeah. And 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 you're very judicious about what you do and how you manage it. And that's the way they choose to live. And they and they do that. I think yeah. you're right. There are a lot of people that do that. Yeah. My my only addition to what you've said is uh, and it's really not even an addition. It's I'll just say it's an amplification. The cover up is always worse than the crime. Always. always. So, you know, if you if you when somebody confronts you with the truth. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm gonna and I'm gonna go ahead and be transparent here. I've had this experience in my life in a major way. I'm not gonna go into a lot of details because it involves other people that I love. Right. But I've had this experience in my life. And <clears throat> I can say without question, the best thing to do when confronted with the truth is to simply say, I did it. Mm-hmm. You're right. And then deal with the fallout. And what people don't realize is, and it's hard. I understand it's hard in the moment Mm -hmm. to grasp it and to embrace the idea. But what people don't realize is, is while that may be the worst moment in your life at that point, when you have to concede to the truth, you can survive it. Mm -hmm. And most people do. And sometimes... And in fact, I would even argue probably many times, if not most times, if you if you learn from that situation, your life will be better. Your life will be better. But you can't be afraid of the truth. Yeah. And you and and lying is. And, I, and again, I'm not trying to put myself up as some paragon of virtue because I guarantee you I'm not. Yeah. But I'm just saying that lying, I know for a fact Lying is not the answer. Yeah, it. it uh, you're you're 100 right uh, about that, and 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 I think. Listen, I think everybody. Uh, you know, speaking of of not being you know a, a paragon or anything else, everybody 
has has an experience in their life where they look back and think exactly what you just said. If I just told the truth about the thing, it'd have been over with. We could all mm-hmm. ask for forgiveness, uh, you know, and be done with it. Instead, this thing drug out, but and, and you had to keep covering it up, and it eats at you and everything else. Everybody has at least one, if not a dozen, experiences like that in life, and hopefully they're not they're not too major. And and you know, God help you if they play out as publicly as Merrill's had here. And you know, yeah. if he had said what he said after that after the the deal yesterday uh, to begin with, I, I think a lot of people would have been like, yeah, you know, he screwed up bad. And there would have been the, there would have been the heartless trolls that, that, you know, that, that came down on somebody for making a human mistake, um, mm-hmm. you know, like that. And, you know, and, and I'm going to say too, to go, kind of go back to what I was saying earlier, I don't know what was going on in John Merrill's family and his life or anything else. You know, I have speculations right. like everybody else, but I, you know, just judging by the, the facts that are on the table, it seems as though there were obviously some issues that were there. And, and, I, and to, and to what you said, I think the, the truth of the thing could have started quite some time back, you know, and, and that's the way it could, could happen with a lot of people is just kind of accept the truth and stop trying to, to force some things on, you know, from time to time. But, I don't know, man. It just, uh, it's, it's a sad sort of situation. Uh, and, and the thing of it is, is I would be a lot sadder for, for Merrill, uh, on this. Cause I, I do like the guy, uh, you know, despite our arguments and, and despite what he says and, and how, how he's gone after some people who I like, um, I, I, I do like him. I think he he wants to do a good job in the in the uh, as Secretary of State, and he was trying. You know, a lot of his uh, the, a lot of the hateful things that he said came from this sort of conflict of him wanting to do a good job that he knew he should be doing versus catering to this Republican uh, agenda of suppressing right. votes and doing other things that he knew was wrong. Uh, I mean, I've had a conversation with him where he essentially admitted to me that he knew the voter ID law was worthless and wrong. Um, mm. and, but that it wasn't his fault. He didn't pass it and he had to enforce it. Um, and so, you know, and I, I said to him then, I said, John, I don't know why you don't say that out publicly. I think that would help you with a lot of people, uh, yeah. to say these things out loud and it wouldn't hurt the law. The law is not going to go away. Uh, but, you know, I just it it's uh it, it's it's a bad deal that was handled so spectacularly awful um yeah. that it probably has killed I mean well it has killed his career. There's no doubt about that. Well uh, I, I certainly I, I would certainly be shocked if he had um I mean, I don't know if if ten years down the line, maybe you know he could resurface, but but he's he's about done for a while. Now, let yeah. me ask you this as a follow up. I mm-hmm. I I got a, a text from a local uh, TV reporter. He sends me um, this statement from Merrill uh, about allegations of Merrill being racist, mm-hmm. and uh, the, in this statement, Merrill is denying. Uh, that he's a racist or that he's ever been racist. He says something. Well, I'll just read a, a small portion of it. I, along with my office, have worked in a bipartisan way with all groups, regardless of political affiliation, race, gender, socioeconomic status, or background. I've done this for the last 30 years that I've had the privilege of working with and serving the public. And then he goes on to sort of uh, expand on that thought. Now, my question is the allegations of racism are coming from the same person who alleged correctly mm-hmm. that Merrill was having an affair with her and they had been had extensive sexual involvement. Mm-hmm. So my question is, if she was telling the truth about the affair, 
Do you think she's also telling the truth about Meryl actually being a racist? Um, I don't see. I listened to the audio of this, um, of the of this particular section. Well, I listened to all of the audio, but the, of this particular section of it was was a little weird. And you know, mm-hmm. and I know it's hard; would be hard for a lot of people to stomach that. But I, I would like you, 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 you go listen to it yourself and see what you take away from it. But to me. Uh, you know, she was really specific with a lot of the sex stuff. When it comes to the race thing and calling him a real bad racist, uh, she was very much uh, less specific. And as a matter of fact, uh, she calls him a racist. And then later in, in, a, in that section comes back and says, I don't think he's a racist. I wouldn't say he's a racist, but he's, he said some things. And, uh, mm. you know, and, and now I will say the one thing in there that makes me believe her uh, uh, somewhat was when she said that they they want uh, me to get down or they want you to get down on your knees uh, and give them everything, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I, she took they to mean uh, African-American uh, right. politicians and judges and stuff. And if that's the case, then, yeah, I mean, and, you know, at this point, she yeah. has much more credibility than than he does. And so I, I think that, yeah, we're it's well, it's a it's a tough situation. And I'll say this for John Merrill as well. Uh, he has not helped himself with the laws that he has supported and the things that right. he has done in an interest to further his career when he knew they were wrong and he knew they were detrimental to African-American voters. Well, I, I would say that most. There's a long storied history of white politicians, especially in the South, but in the North, too, of throwing black people under the bus in order to further their political careers. Yep whether it means the suppression of voting rights or disproportionately in death penalty states, disproportionately executing blacks. I mean, we know they, that's all documented history. Sure. So that, that, uh, that, that's, I would argue that most white politicians, um, well, I, I'll, I'll say it this way. Any white politician that will, employ those sorts of tactics or approaches mm-hmm. at the very least as a white supremacist. Are they a virulent racist? In other words, are they going around calling people niggers and secretly burning crosses and, and engaging in racial terror, mm-hmm. uh, blocking their children from dating black people and all that stuff? Not necessarily. Yeah. Not necessarily. I think there is a continuum. You know, and virulent hatred, I think, is at the very end of the of one end of the, of the continuum. But before you get there, I think there's white privilege and white supremacy mm-hmm. and the sorts of mindsets that 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 manifest themselves in the kinds of policies that we talk about. But but that doesn't necessarily mean people have a deep seated hatred for black people. And I would and I would say that and I would also say that for a lot of black people. You know, that's a distinction without a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, they yes. just feel like, well, look, if you're a white supremacist, then you may as well be a virulent racist as far as I'm concerned. And I, I and I get yeah. and I get that as well. Yeah, I, I, I do, too. And yeah, let me ask you a question. Something that, that, I, mm-hmm. thought, that I thought about. Um, do you think that a, a majority of today's racism is is more politically motivated than it is? Uh, uh, essentially, you know, uh, skin color motivated that that because 
most black people, the majority of black people vote Democratic and their black skin makes them so easily identifiable as a Democratic voter that most of that racism is targeted towards that end and not necessarily because people now are tar- again it's a it's a distinction without a difference you're you're right it doesn't matter why you're doing it it's racist as hell but i'm just asking about the motivation for it where i think in the in the 60s 50s and 60s and before a lot of it was they felt like they were so ignorant that they felt like black people were different and and lesser and all that. I think there's still an element of that. Don't get me wrong, but it seems like the majority of this now is because the black voter is easily identifiable, and they would that that's where the targeting stems from for a lot of people, and that's why most of those people are so shocked and outraged when you say, "Oh, you're a racist," and they're like, "What? What are you talking about?" You know, they don't they don't right. see it. Because it's not a, a motivation of theirs based on their hatred for the individual, but more so the hatred of the of the person's vote. D- does that make sense? Or am I off base well, there? No, I don't think you're off base. I think I think uh, there's a there's a lot of that that is absolutely on point. I guess the only distinction I would make is that there is, if you want to call it, politically. Uh, racism in a political context or a policy context. And then there's racism outside of those contexts. Mm-hmm. So the racism outside of those contexts to me is like you, you decide as a police officer, you're going to kneel on the neck of a man yeah. for nine plus minutes, almost, almost 10 minutes and kill yeah. him. Or you're going to shoot a, a black man who's running away from you in the back and then plant a gun to try to make it look like he was a threat to you as they did to Walter Scott and on and on and on. I mean, that to me, you know, uh, there, you know, what happened to Breonna Taylor, uh, you know, shot and killed in her own apartment because of a reckless kind of mindset of police officers who did not value black life. Yeah. And just thought they could go in there and do whatever the hell they wanted, however they wanted. That I think is 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 much closer to uh, what I would say is non political racism yeah. that has an impact on daily life in a in a very dangerous uh, and and I'd say a very American familiar American way. Yeah, you know, and, and I think now hearing you say that in that context uh, and knowing that the same people that I was just saying would, were, were, you know, more politically motivated. I know mm-hmm. that those same people would go to bat for those cops. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. and so I, I think maybe that thinking that I just had was, was a hundred percent wrong. Uh, I think that there's something, there's something screwed up in their head uh, there. Um, and, and it is a white supremacist uh, uh, motivation uh, behind that. And, and it is, and it is pure and simple racism. Uh, I believe uh, that mm-hmm. is that is at play there, and so well, um, you, don't, you know, maybe maybe I shouldn't try to define it. Well, I mean, it's it's a tricky thing. I, I there's a, it reminds me of a scene in the movie A Night in Miami, the 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 Netflix hit that um, was about that. Uh, for those who don't know, was about that uh, that very real meeting that happened in Miami between Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, Malcolm X, and Sam Cooke, mm-hmm. and uh, Leading up to that that night, there's a scene, and it, I don't know if it's historically accurate or not, but it certainly made a strong point 
where Jim Brown was visiting a white man in Georgia who was uh, had been a sort of a, I guess, a mentor to him. I think a football coach or something, high school football coach. And, you know, the man was so welcoming, so loving. You know, hey, sit down, come and get, you know, hey, let me yeah. get you something to drink. And, you know, they're, they're sitting and drinking on the porch. But when it was time to go in the house, the man said to Jim Brown, oh, wait a minute. Whoa, what are you doing? Jim, come on now. You know, we don't we don't let niggas in our house. <laughs> so there was this very complicated sort of, yeah, I love you and I like you in a lot of ways, but you're, but I love and I like you in your place, nigga. Yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of that that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, it's the same sort of complicated thinking that, um, you know, if you want to go back to our founding fathers, you know, Thomas Jefferson couldn't get enough of Sally Hemings. Right. Yeah. Right. He couldn't get enough yeah. of her. But yet she was still to him a negress. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, racism doesn't make sense. And it often is contradictory. Yeah, it's. um a weird, weird people are weird, man. People really are yeah. weird, and now I mean, it's just uh, it's a shame. It's a shame that we're still dealing with it, uh, you know, from from the start until all the way through today. It's it's just something yeah. as idiotic as skin color. I mean, really, it's it's mm-hmm. so stupid to me. I just can't wrap my head around why why people think like that. But all right, we probably need to slide out of here. We'll uh, we'll come back. John Archibald will join us, and uh, we'll uh, we'll make fun of him for a little while for winning a Pulitzer <laughs> and writing a book. How about that? <laughs> All right, back in a minute, Alabama Politics this week. Hey, just wanted to take a second to uh, thank the AFL-CIO for their support of the podcast here at Alabama Politics this week and really thank them for all that they do for us and for the workers all around uh, Alabama. Uh, The Alabama AFL-CIO, which you can find at alaflcio.com. Again, that's alaflcio.com. Uh, go to their, their website. Uh, they, they do great work uh, at helping you organize, uh, teaching you about the benefits of a union, uh, teaching you about how to, how to go about filing grievances and everything else that goes with, with being a union member. And especially in this time, COVID-19 is so prevalent and, um, you know, a lot of workers are having problems with uh, precautions not necessarily being taken or getting relief uh, that they need because of wage losses and job losses. Go over there to the website, take a look at the reports that are there, take a look at the guidance that they have, uh, utilize some of those, uh, some of the fine people that are working at Alabama AFL-CIO uh, and, and take advantage of, of what a union can bring. Uh, and that's especially true if you're working at a place that does not necessarily have a union. Uh, I think you can read, uh, read all about that with the, uh, with the folks working at Amazon currently uh, in this state. And you can see the benefits that kind of come along with being a union member. Uh, again, that's a A-L-A-F-L-C-I-O.com. A-L-A-F-L-C-I-O.com. All right. Welcome back in Alabama politics this week. Uh, we are happy. David and myself are happy now to, to have with yeah. us uh, Pulitzer winner, uh, author. I, I see I see him shaking his head. Uh, apparently he, does, he's just, he shies yeah. away from praise as much as I do. Uh, but it's John Archibald, uh, AL.com columnist and uh, apparently uh, resident at Harvard uh, now. Um, is, and and <laughs> Can we say yeah. best-selling author? Are we? Are, are, I assume it's best-selling, right? Isn't it? 
I, I, you know, I don't even know what the numbers are because I'm afraid to look, just like I'm afraid to look for page use when I'm uh, writing calls. These are things I don't want to know. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, as long as the, long as the checks know. keep coming in, as long as the royalties keep rolling in, right? <laughs> well, I think I, I'm pretty sure I got all I'm going to get out of it. <laughs> That's one of those situations. I've got my money. I don't know what to tell you guys. It's uh, <laughs> Listen, if it's not working out, it's on you, really. Uh, so. right. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, shaking the gates of hell. Uh, I, I have read most of it because, as I said earlier, I, I like to prepare for for an interview, but I, I'm also a bit of a procrastinator. Uh, so you know, I didn't, I haven't read the entirety, but it, it is, it's a fantastic uh, read. Uh, I mean, it is, and, and especially if you're from this state, uh, because I think a lot of it, uh, you know, is so so familiar for me, especially because we, well, I grew up in Decatur and you were there for a, for a period of time in the book as well. And, uh, and so a, a lot of that rings very true. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, um, uh, things that take place and a lot of the conversations are so, uh, man, I can, you know, I can hear them. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, I, I guess just to kind of get into it a little bit here, cause I want to get into what you've been doing as well. Um, because I think that's very, very interesting, uh, you know, and, uh, but, to get into the book a little bit, I I think one of the one of the things that you hit on a lot, uh, especially early, is the fact that you didn't learn a lot of the things, a lot of the truth about the civil rights era, and and a lot of the actions and a lot of the awfulness that were taking place in school, um, right. and and that's that's my experience as well. And now I mean I've heard from people who grew up in in Montgomery, you know, spent a lot of time there working. Um, and, and they, they say that they were a little different in that area. And so maybe it's, it's an area, uh, it's, it has to do with uh, geographic bias or something like that. I don't know, but I'm the same way. I didn't hear, I didn't learn these things in school. I didn't know about, you know, the, the true story of Rosa Parks, uh, for example, mm-hmm. or some of these other people, E.D. Nixon and some of these, it wasn't until I got to Montgomery that I found out as a, you know, working at the newspaper there before I found out that stuff. And I, I wonder, you know, that's, we can't be the only ones, right? No, I mean, I think that's I think that's one of the great problems and one of the great, you know, and it's why I wanted to, you know, mix history with memoir in some ways, kind of sneak some in because, you know, we, I grew, you know, I was born April of 63 and outside Birmingham, Alabama, and I didn't know what was going on in Birmingham until I was full, you know, full grown, you know, and I didn't learn it at home from from very actually progressive people for the time. Uh, but I didn't learn it there because and I didn't learn it at church. I didn't learn it at school because we know how the textbooks mischaracterized everything in in those days. Uh, and, and I haven't looked at a recent one to know if uh, that still is the case. But I look around and 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 I learned that stuff when I had to go to work and start writing about it and learning about it. But when I look around at the people I know and I talk to them about it, the white people I know, um, they. Uh, have a similar level of ignorance and talk about having had that uh, for most of their lives. And, and really it's just a, an obliviousness of the important uh, horrible and terrible and wonderful things that were going on uh, throughout that whole period. And, uh, you know, I think that ignorance is what causes us to make the same mistakes again. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. I, I wonder, I wonder how much different this state would be. If 
if there were a true accounting of a lot of these people and and if we if we taught the those people the the Fred Grays and the and the folks that they were involved in this thing um you know and talked about what they did and we, and we didn't use it in, in in such a superficial way um you know and we <laughs> because you know I, I always thought the bus boycott in Montgomery for example was just this organic thing that happened because this poor seamstress was dragged off the bus you know when I get to Montgomery and I, I meet Fred Gray and we talk you know a lot and and he tells me about these meetings that he and Rosa Parks used to have, you know, and and how uh, E.D. Nixon and all these other people were involved in this, uh, you know, this planning of this thing and, and how they tried it with Claudette Colvin. And, uh, you know, it just was not going to work out because she was pregnant. And so people were going to look down on her. And uh, and then, you know, just to kind of uh, th- that story is fascinating. And it, it just you would think, man, if, if we didn't if we didn't treat it this way, maybe things would be different. Right. And, you know, and the same, of course, is true, in, you know, in Birmingham and many, many other places where, you know, the level of strategy and, and, the, and the level of, you know, the, the intent to, ma- you know, the, the insistence to maintain the nonviolence among huge groups of people who were coming. I mean, and all these things are just so important. But, you know, go back in history, I mean, as you, I know, do, um, to, you know, whether it's Reconstruction or you know, when we stood up and said, let's have new constitutions to uh, to ensure white supremacy, to, to codify white supremacy or, or Jim Crow uh, to deny the vote and everything that went forward from, to the bombings in Birmingham and, and the, the marches, you know, the, the, the whole time, uh, it, it's, it's that this, this same level of effort to, to keep people out of power that, that only was allowed to exist because people who knew better, because white people who knew better didn't say a damn thing. And because, uh, and it's, and that's really sort of the, the, where I got into this book is because, you know, I I always thought my dad, I mean, I still think my dad's the greatest person I've ever known, but if he can screw up, if he can fall victim to peer pressure or conspiracy of silence or whatever you want to call it, that kept, as King was talked about people of goodwill from, making a difference. I mean, if the best people, you know, can do that, then Lord knows I can. So, uh, you know, that's, that's my hope is that, you know, as much as looking back, I I mean, we need to look inside and, uh, well, you know, uh, John is an African American who grew up in the North, uh, but who grew up with, uh, being very well versed on civil rights history and, 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 and actually, um, have continued. If if you were to look at my bookshelf, you could see uh, my my reading and understanding of that, and then working as a journalist and getting into it even further. It's always interesting to me to hear Southern whites talk about, as you and and, and my boy Josh are talk about, you know the the epiphanies that you had or the moment of transformation that you experience regarding race. Um, and, and let me first say, I commend you both for it. And, you know, Josh knows I've been a big fan of his for years, primarily because I saw that he had an enlightened racial perspective. Um, and so whenever I encounter whites who have this perspective, especially Southern whites, uh, I'm pleasantly surprised and it gives me hope. But I, but I will say, John, having said all that, and this is not a caveat, but it's it's more of a, uh, let's just say a mild pivot. Uh, 
Um, I, I am also very confused, perplexed, um, troubled, maybe is even the better word, by the role that it seems in so many cases, and Josh, I don't know if this is with you, I don't think this is the case. But it sounds as though, John, from what you've said and from what I've read with other white about from, you know, reading other whites who grew up in the South, that religion, the church in particular, is always a part of this, that it's always the incubator or the cauldron in which the racism is 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 sort of it it comes to a simmer and, and boils up, you know, in a person's life. And and I, I heard you say, or maybe Josh said, that you're the son of a preacher. Is that right? Yeah, the I'm son a, of a I'm preacher. The son of a preacher, the grand, grandson of a preacher, the great grandson of a preacher, all the way back to the 1700s. And my grandfather on my other side was a preacher, uncle, aunt, niece, the whole works, you know. Okay. I'm the, okay. The, came to a screeching halt right here. But. <laughs> right. Like, it's like Mona, yeah, well, it's like I, Mona Lisa Vito well. and, and my cousin Vinny, but instead of mechanics, it's uh, preachers. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, and, and I'm, a, I'm not a PK, but my grandfather was a bishop uh, in a, in a uh, Pentecostal denomination. So I... I'm curious to know, what do you think, what is it about the church and religion that makes it, it seems like especially suited to create this brew of hate and racism and white supremacy? Um, that's, uh, frankly, that's a lot, a lot of what the book's about, frankly, the conspiracy of silence, which was nurtured by the church. And, and I look specifically at the Methodist church because that's where my dad, my family was. But um if you ask me, it is because ultimately, and it's also very interesting. This is not the answer to the question, but it's very interesting to see the difference in predominantly black churches and who embrace politics for change and, and used it successfully for great change. And the white church that sat back, as King said, you know, and, and was silent on issues of grave importance. And, and so it's always about keeping butts in the pews. It's always about holding membership together. It's always about this is not the right time. It's always about delay, 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 which is exactly essentially what was said in, in the letter to King, which spawned the letter from Birmingham jail, um, you know, justice delayed. Uh, uh, and, and so, um, and you can, you can hear this, the same rhetoric being spoken today in the white church by, and it, in all churches, frankly, about other issues, other social and cultural issues that they don't want to take on because they're too controversial and they fear that they will, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I started calling it Jesus LLC because it's about the money first. It's about uh, keeping the money and the power. And it's very much, and it's too often uh, not much about, uh, about those, those, those things about, uh, uh, you know, they taught me uh, in, in the 1960s that Jesus loves the little children and all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. Jesus loves them in his sight and all that. That's fine until you start bringing them into church. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the mm -hmm. amount of hypocrisy then and now, even among what is considered a more progressive church, um, is, is, is really a, a grave source of disappointment for me and the reason that I started 
looking at this book. Well, so what do you do? Uh, you are you still a person of faith? First of all, I have a faith that um, is 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 probably seen as blasphemous to some. Um, I, you know, I can't get the whole idea of the church out of my DNA in the Methodist church in particular, because it makes me everything I do. Um, I have some issues with some of the more supernatural elements of religion, uh, to be honest with you. And I don't much think that that matters because I think that the things that, that matter out of that are the things that Jesus would have said, all of which were, um, diametrically opposed to what most of the Christian groups in Alabama in particular stand for. Um, and so, you know, if we really wanted to be Christian, Christ-like, we'd be out there taking care of the sick people and we'd be out there welcoming the, the homeless and the immigrants and turning the other cheek and uh, not like John Merrill liked to do it, but like uh, <laughs> some of the uh, others. <laughs> that's a good line that's funny i like that well and and there we go yeah, down the be a pain in the ass but, yeah. um... <laughs> and the and they yeah, just the hits keep on a... rolling so uh you know uh <laughs> That's a that's a uh, that's a sort of a Jeffersonian Christianity you're describing to me. You know, there's the the story about uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson was trying to create his own Bible, and basically he was cutting out all of the miracles in the New Testament, um, and um, and and he thought that would be, I guess, more of a representation of of what he thought Christianity should be, and it almost sounds like that's where you're yeah. going. So I, I guess I guess my question is still relevant. I was going to ask you, as a person of faith, what do you do? Uh, then you know, how do you, you know, as a white person of faith? I mean, as you said, you know, we blacks we've we've already embraced in most cases in our churches, and I'm Seventh Day Adventist, by the way, which has a actually has a parallel history to Methodism. And, and actually, we well, say parallel history. We actually come out of Methodism, really, truthfully. But um, anyway, uh, we, uh, you know, we in the black church, we tend to embrace uh, the, you know, uh, social justice, a social justice gospel already. But as a white believer, uh, you know, whether you want to call yourself a Jeffersonian Christian or something else, what do you do? How do you, what, what, where do you go with that? Considering the state of, uh, the evangelistic or evangelical church. Today? Well, I mean, it's very difficult because I mean, I think Josh can relate to this as well. And just in terms of, you know, when you attempt to call out the hypocrisy of the church, which, you know, seems like, a. I mean, it seems too easy some days. It, 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 you know, it gets to be frustrating because it rarely has resonance somehow with the people who need to hear it most. And, you know, so that, which is, I guess, true about everything. Um, but for me, and, you know, I, you know, my mom used to, uh, who, who was a great preacher's wife, but she used to always, she, she used to read this book called The Christian Agnostic, I think, because she was, she may have felt some of the same things I felt, although she didn't really want to admit it. But, I mean, I, the importance being that you ask, uh, you treat people in the, you know, 
uh, you know, I hate to simplify it too much, but, you know, you treat people the way you want to be treated and you allow them to be treated the way you're treated. You know, you, uh, you, you do all those things that are, we, we glorify in songs and hymns and practice very rarely. Um, so, I mean, I think that, you know, you tilt against that, Josh, you know, you tilt against those windmills as long as you can tilt against them and, and, and then some more. Um, and, you know, I hate to say that that feels sort of, uh, religious to me i mean i feel driven to do yeah. that i'm sure josh feels i mean you know people use that word called all the time like it means something but uh and maybe it does because we all have these callings that we feel like we need to do whether it's we all have our pulpits whether they're something. religious or secular or yeah. otherwise and we do what we think is right it, it john it does mean something and and it's why you know Again, this you know I, I praise Josh a lot on this podcast, and and it is in part because I know he's a true believer in this, on this topic and in these areas, and um, and so I, in my opinion, it absolutely means something. So I'm gonna I'm gonna toss it back to Josh with the to to get some final questions before we get out of here. But I've got to say first, I, I was telling Josh this just a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, I was very impressed with the fact, John, that you wrote a column when Josh was, uh, let's say, ceremoniously, unceremoniously. I'm not sure which one is applicable. He was unceremoniously. Well, unceremoniously. There's not a lot of ceremony. I got to say, I got to be honest. Uh, there's okay. no cake. Unceremoniously. Yeah. No cake. Okay. <laughs> unceremoniously removed from his position as a columnist at the Montgomery Advertiser. A big mistake, in my opinion. Uh, I was very impressed with the fact that you wrote a column about a a fellow columnist at a competing newspaper standing with him as somebody who comes, you know, I've got an extensive amount of newspaper work in my background. And that was just so damn impressive, man. I want to commend well, you for I that. Mean, I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, I appreciate it. But, uh, you know, in my eyes, you know, they, you come for Josh one day, you're coming for me the next. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the fact of the matter is Josh is an important voice in the state of Alabama and not and, and a great writer as well. And um, He sure is. And he so sure is. It's, it, on its face, there's no, uh, there's no sensible reason for him to have been removed except for political pressure. That's well, the only thing that happens. I'm going to need y'all to insult me for a little bit because I can't. I mean, I he's an asshole. <laughs> but <laughs> there we go. Now, After all the now said and I'm done. comfortable again. Now I'm comfortable again. All right, I don't know how to take the praise. Now you insult me all day, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine and at home. But I don't know. And you do need to leave the state. You need to leave the state. Well, I mean, you know. if I go back to where I came from, go back from. where you came yeah, from. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, as, I, as I told Kyle last night on Twitter, I, I, I'm literally living 20 minutes from where I grew up uh, at this point. But you know, right. it's uh, and I. I I did greatly appreciate that, the, the, the column and, and stuff, those things happen. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't, after they didn't want me to write the column anymore, I couldn't, I couldn't stay there. And so it just, uh, you know, and, and I, I think things worked out fine, uh, as they typically do, uh, you know, but to kind of get back to what y'all were talking about, about the, you know, it, it is kind of, it, it's, it seems a lot I take from, from people on the outside looking in that what John and I do on a daily basis is, is kind of banging our heads against the wall. Um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because we, we, you know, we, we talk about these things and I think we provide 
a pretty good example and and reason uh, on on how this why things are so screwed up here and why they continue to be so screwed up and provide you you know examples of these things and and then they just repeat them you know the John Merrill this week Robert Bentley the you know a couple of years before that you know it just it just is repeated over and over and over again um, and I mean I I don't know I, I it, it does sometimes get frustrating for me. Uh, you know, to 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 watch people do this, and I get angry, and that there's there's times when I have to take a I have to take a step back, and um and and so I, I was I wanted to get into what you've been doing for the last year because you know I know the book is is just one part of it, uh you, you know you also been up at Harvard and uh you know I just has this been has this been a good experience over the last year of kind of taking a step back? Is have you been able to 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 get a new perspective on things? Yeah, I mean, I think I have. I mean, it was a tough year anyway with COVID going in and, you know, it, it, things were not normal. And, and you know how it is. I mean, in the last, I mean, it's been different since 15 or 16 in terms of, I mean, it, it, you know, people used to say, I, I, uh, I disagree with everything you write, but I like to read your column. And now they say, get the hell out, you know? So <laughs> yeah. it, it's a different sort of world. And in, in, in a bygone, not so far bygone day, we could we could write a reasonable things and reasonable people would recognize the reason, even if they did not agree, which was great, which is what it's supposed to be about. Um, and so the absence of that uh, for, for all the reasons we know and, and love and don't love um, is one thing, but you know, I, I got, so I got to come up here, which is, is ridiculous. And, uh, and I've sort of, and my goal since I've been here is to try to learn how to tell stories in different ways. So I'm taking like playwriting classes and uh, different kinds of narrative writing stuff. Um, and so that's my goal going forward is to just, you know, we're, we're doing it now, right? Yeah. Pod, you know, podcast, you do video, you do uh, traditional writing, you do non-traditional writing. We do t- Twitter, we do Facebook, we do everything we can possibly do to communicate. And so my goal is to, uh, is to, uh, to figure out better ones, you know, and, and I can't believe I'm taking playwriting, which I've never thought I wanted to do, yeah. but, which I've fallen in love with. And all of a sudden I want to do a play about Alabama politics. And I've got one coming from my final mm. exam. That's, they're going to think it's fiction and I'm just going to let them believe it. <laughs> that's great, man. I, I, listen, I, I, I've loved, uh, you know, I'm a big uh, theater fan and, and uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to Broadway opening back up. And so that, that, you know, the, to hear you say that you you can't believe you're taking playwriting. I don't know why you can't believe it. I mean, hell, it's a it's a it's a fantastic form of storytelling, and uh, and, and I mean, it just to and not to mention, uh, you know, just um, just to watch people perform in front of you like that. It's it's one you know, TVs and movies are great. I love them, but to to watch to go to a, to a play and to watch people perform in front of you is is like you know nothing else in this world, and and it's just is it's it's so it's so great. So it's. Uh, 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 it, it, it sounds like a fun year. I mean, honestly, in, in the worst year, it sounds like a, a pretty good year to spend the worst year, right? Yeah, and, a lot, and, it's, and it's different than it's ever been up here through the fellowship because it's all on Zoom, Harvest Close, you know, the built, yeah. buildings. But we've had a lot of interaction with the, you know, it's got, there's 16 fellows from around the world and they're, you know, very impressive. And I, I feel incredibly stupid half the time, but... <laughs> It's good for me, also. Yeah. It's almost like yeah. being. It's almost like being on Twitter. <laughs> and, uh, 
So <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, when when are you coming back, or, or are you coming back? You coming back oh, yeah. to, to AL.com at some point? Yeah, I'm coming back in June. Okay. We just see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Um, well, you know, so to speak. It's, uh, I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I love Alabama and want to be back, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, it's such a crazy experience. I mean, I just, uh, uh, you know, I'm taking classes with Cornell West, and uh, and you know, Ooh. which is had one this morning where uh, you know, it's just just to sit and listen, you know, is an amazing experience, and to be around so many people who see the world in such a bigger way than I tend to see it. Um, it's really a reminder mm. of how, you know, how insulated we often are. Hey, quick Cornell West question. Uh, you know, we in the black community kicked his behind over his uh, disrespect for Obama. Uh, has he, has he managed to survive all of that in your mind as you well, see him uh, up close and I personal? Mean, the students, uh, love him very much i mean he's you know you can't you know listen to him and not be enthralled um so, yeah, so there's two hundred, i agree whatever people come into class you know i mean that's people love that um but you know he's he's having a lot of trouble with harvard and has said he's leaving so uh i, I may get the last oh. harvard class of cornell west but um okay. I, I think that uh, I, I think for the most i think at least you know, you can't judge anything by what people at Harvard do because this is a bubble unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. But, um, mm. but he seems to be weathering. You know, he, he seems to be. Uh, over does there. he does he wear a Every black day. suit, black tie, white shirt? With a black scarf every, every day. day. Looks exactly. I mean, it, it looks pristine every day too. I think, and, and you know, somebody I, I yeah. just met him on the on the on Harvard Yard. Uh, the other day and, and and insists it's silk so you know it's it's the real deal mm. so uh. <laughs> it's so i mean it's 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 weird uh and it has to be weird to say i met him on harvard yard uh yeah. it's, uh i mean <laughs> it's, uh, it's just uh, i mean listen I, I gotta say man it uh we really appreciate you coming on and uh and and really y'all go by the book shaking the gates of hell yeah. it, it is great um and it is great stories and um and, and listen we we we're proud uh of you and and of and of what you've done uh you know you I, you represent a lot of people uh here that that don't get a good voice a lot of times um and and it's it's great to see somebody get the recognition for that that they deserve and and you deserve every single bit of it so um well josh you know you know you know how arbitrary all that is and you know that you deserve it just as much so uh well Rock on. Yeah, man. I, and listen, and I know that you, you like me have no idea how to handle praise. And so I, I got, I get it. It's, uh, it's, you know, uh, listen, but it's, it's well deserved. And, and, and man, we, we really do appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me. Thank you, yeah, John. Thanks, Appreciate John. It. Appreciate it. All right. That's uh, John Archibald. Uh, and seriously, y'all, y'all go, go, go buy the book um, because it, it is good. Yeah. yeah I have to yeah, check yeah, it out. Get it, David. Shaking I'll, the uh, gates of hell. Uh, I'll, I'll send you, I, I can send you a copy. Uh, and uh, a digi- digitally. Cool. I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't buy the paperback, but, uh, or the hardback, but it, it is, yeah. it is very good. I think you, you would like it, especially given your ties to, uh, to the church and religion and stuff. I think that it would, it would, particularly uh be something that you you enjoyed uh, but um 
I will look forward yeah. to getting but, uh, there. John, John's Thank good you. people too, um, and um, mm-hmm. and I, uh, it, it, I do, I do kind of feel like it's, uh, you know, it's somebody from from your hometown. You know, it's like watching your your high school basketball team do well or something. You know, it's uh, you 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 want to root him on and 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 feel good about it. And there's, um, I think somebody once said I was I was jealous of John. And I was like, listen, I I am jealous of John, uh, but. Uh, not in that way, you know. I would like for it to happen uh, to me mm-hmm. as well that way, sure. But I mean, I'm I'm just as as proud of of, of what he's done and, and the recognition he's received. It, it just it makes it honestly makes me feel good to see him to see him have that success and and those honors come his way. Uh, and, and because they're 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 yeah. so deserved to to do what he's done and to have me to have just an inkling of that uh, of what it's like day in and day out. Uh, you know, to hit that every day and to, and to take the letters and to take the hits and to take the, you know, the bullshit from editors and to take the, you know, from the publisher. Mm-hmm. Oh God, somebody's mad or this advertiser is going to go away because you wrote this. And, you know, to take that day after mm-hmm. day after day and to finally see that at the, you know, it's just, it, it's hopeful. It's hopeful, you know, is, uh, is what it is. So, yeah. Uh, well, you, you, John and Kyle, have all written columns that at some point I thought, mm, I wish I'd written that. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, you I can't say I'd anything better that. than that. Uh, you know, that's, uh, and, and, yeah. and I feel the same way about them and, 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 and the stuff, you know, whenever mm-hmm. you, you know, decide to write anything again, you know, maybe, you know, we'll, we'll see, but, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's been a long time as, as I think I'm at that Tony Kornheiser <laughs> stage in life where I'm <laughs> saying fingers these fingers no don't type. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, I understand that as well. And one day, one day, maybe, but I don't know. We'll see. All right. Yeah. Let's slide yeah. out. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute and wrap this baby up. Hey, everybody. Just wanted to remind you, if you would take a moment and go to your favorite podcast destination and leave us a nice review if you would. Uh, Also, don't forget to rate us if you get a chance. Uh, That would really, really help us out a whole lot here. And, uh, you know, maybe we could earn some money off this thing every now and then. Thanks a lot, guys. All righty. Welcome back in Alabama politics this week. So, uh, you know, good good interview with Mr. Archibald. And we'll... um, uh, to to wrap this baby up because we're we're running out of time here. Um, we uh, I mean, I say we're running out of time. As you know, we can go as long as we want to. Uh, we've, <laughs> we've clearly gone longer, but we try to keep it. You know, uh, just yeah. over an hour or so, um, just to make it easy on on you folks to listen. Because I mean, how long really can you listen to me talk? I mean, David, you can probably <laughs> listen for two hours, but then you get me in there. Oh, I don't know about that. Throws the whole thing off. So, uh, but. Right, so we're going to do the right wing note of the week and then kind of expand and expound upon this, uh, our, our right wing note and why this person is our right wing note. And that is uh, Senator Del Marsh, uh, the former president of the, of the Alabama State Senate, a uh, man who has attempted a few runs for higher office, but has always kind of stopped short uh, because nobody wanted to vote for him. Um, and, and the reason that he is our right wing note of the week this week is because he introduced a bill. Uh, yet another uh, in a long line of attacks on public education that Del Marsh has sponsored, uh, beginning in 2013 with his sponsorship of the uh, of the AAA Act, uh, the Alabama Accountability Act. Uh, this mm-hmm. bill, uh, this time, uh, would allow open enrollment in schools, which, hey, 
I'm all for that. Okay, I'm all for open enrollment in schools that you can go anywhere in the in your county or or however you know wherever you want to do it. In county is where I would do it. Um, but I have some stipulations, which is if you're going to have open enrollment in in your county, you should also provide transportation to anywhere in the county uh, mm-hmm. for for students under a certain income level. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think once you reach above a certain income level, if you if you don't want to provide transportation outside of the zone school system, then we could we can talk about that. But under a certain income level, I think you ought to provide transportation anywhere in the county. Uh, also, no fees to go there. Also, you have to uh, abide by the laws for disabilities and everything else that, that are there. Uh, you have to if it's a special needs student, that special needs student should have its his or her needs met. Okay, that should be done uh, no matter which school that they enroll in. And I think if you want to place a requirement that the parent has to be in contact with that school so many months in advance so they can establish this IEP uh, that that needs to be put in place. I'm okay with that. But it should be an option there. You can't discriminate against the the disabled students, which is why Del Marsh is our right wing of the week because his mm-hmm. bill allows for open enrollment. It does not require anybody to take a student. Uh, you can deny them entry, entry into your school on the thinnest of grounds. Um, you can all, there's also no transportation provided for anyone. Um, and he, they, he announced these things as though they were good things, uh, <laughs> during his hearing. Uh, mm-hmm. and then the other thing is, is no school is required to establish a program or rearrange a classroom in order to accommodate a student if they're not already doing so. Which mean, which is basically saying, if you are a special needs student and you're in a failing school that we have deemed a failing school or in a school that you, you know, you don't think is serving you very well, mm-hmm. you can't transfer out because this school over here can say, no, we're not, we're not providing this program that's going to require us to, you know, to accommodate your needs, which is federal law. I mean, it's the law of this country that you have to provide this. And so you can't in one breath say, we're providing you a failing education over here because that's what they're doing. They're deeming this a failing education and then say, but because you're disabled, you got to take it. You know, it's the most, it's the most comprehensive. I think it's the most, comprehensive expression of discrimination that we've seen in education in our state in quite a while. You know, it's, there's an economic discrimination. There's a racial, I think, undertone to it. And then there's also a very overt discriminatory position being taken against children with disabilities. Yes, It's astounding. And as you just said, it's so blatantly unconstitutional. So blatantly in violation of federal law that you wonder why in the hell would he propose it and why would any self-respecting Senate committee pass it? I, I mean, what well, Roger Smitherman voted for this. OK, I mean, I don't get that. I don't either. I, I don't get saying that. I have some real problems and real concerns about the legalities of this, but I'm going to vote it out yeah. of committee. Uh, it just is. It, it's mind boggling. But. To me, and I wrote a column about this uh, this week, mm-hmm. saying that um, Marsh has a long history of doing some things here that make one of his comments today, or, I'm sorry, sorry, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever the hell this was, it, it makes his comment during that hearing 
that when he was speaking to Vivian Figures, Vivian Figures was telling him all of her problems that she had with this bill. Uh, and he was say, and he said to her, I too have a problem with the way our, our funding for education is handled. And I think uh, it, we should look at a model in which schools that are the neediest get more funding. I, I mean, I don't, they're, they're yeah. uh, public educators in this state had to have fallen off their damn chairs. I, I mean, it, <laughs> to hear that man say this after yeah, what he has done, yeah. I mean, Nobody has taken more money from struggling schools in Del Mars. And as I said in the column, that's not hyperbole. That's not an arguable fact. That is 100% fact. He has done it purposefully over and over and over again as teachers and uh, superintendents and principals and parents and everybody has told him, please don't do this. You're hurting mm. the schools that need it the most. Please don't do this. He's done it anyway. He did it with the AAA Act, which takes money right directly out of the out of the most struggling schools. He did it right. with the charter school bill uh, that takes money again from some of the most struggling schools. He did it with a, with a uh, re-up of the AAA Act, which he gave, got more tax money. Did you know, let me tell you one of the most egregious and why I get on a get on a soapbox I'm really looking forward to AEA sponsoring this podcast at some point. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I get on a I, I mean, let me tell you, did you know right now, today, mm-hmm. today, that you, if you were sending your child to a private school, you get more money back as a tax per pupil tax than what you the school would receive if that student was enrolled in that school. You can get $10,000 or so. I want to say it's right at $10,000 per pupil for in Lowndes County, for example. You can get $10,000 to send that kid to Lowndes Academy. The state has to pay $10,000 in a tax break. Mm -hmm. But if that kid stays in a public school in Lowndes County, they get $7,400. Well, it it doesn't surprise me because, again, as as you pointed out, just a few minutes ago and in your column, that's that was the whole premise, basically, of the Alabama Accountability mm-hmm. Act. It was to do a massive, uh, what was that term the, the conservatives used to use uh, back in the 90s, uh, income shift or massive uh, trans, wealth transfer, wealth mm-hmm. transfer. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just a basic, it's another wealth yep. transfer is what it is. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, I didn't know the numbers, but it's not surprising. It's yeah, not surprising. It, it's, it just, to me, and I, I described it before as mm-hmm. uh, the people, uh, the white people in this state have run to the suburbs mm-hmm. uh, is so much with white flight that now they're out of suburbs. Mm-hmm. And so what they're attempting to do uh, with the AAA Act and with the, uh, with the charter schools uh, bill is to create a race platform. Uh, yeah. that, that puts them above this and that now they can run a, a, over the top of it uh, because that's all it does. There has never been, and listen, there there are good charter schools. Don't get me wrong. There are good charter yeah. schools, but yeah. the best charter schools, uh, the ones that, that work and the ones that help you are the ones that go into areas in your state that are coordinated through your state, through your the Department of Education and through local school districts, and they are targeted for certain individuals with certain needs or with certain that, that fill a gap that you can't meet. Yeah. For example, one that I supported in Montgomery uh, and, and would have, I, I told people, if you'll do this, I mean, I'll, I'll write glowing things. I'll, hell, I'll donate to it. Um, it is if you had a school there like uh, Jeffrey Canada School 
the Harlem Day School right. uh, in New right. York City that that took kids, the most at risk kids, and put them there and kept them in there for the for the entirety of the week. Basically, you, they would go home on the weekends for a night, and then they were right back into the school and, you know, on right. Sundays. Uh, you know, and and you got to keep them there, and they stayed there, and they were focused, and they did that. Now they've done something similar to that with with one of the academies there. Uh, it's an all boys school uh, in Montgomery, uh, but. It's if they, they would create a couple of those schools, uh, they, they'll be expensive. The the it won't be cheap or anything else, but it would make such a huge difference in that community. Uh, you know, yeah, the Jeffrey Canada model works. Oh yeah, it, it does. Works. It yeah. does. Yeah. I mean, and, and you would change lives in, in yeah. doing this. And but the way they're going about it, it in that way, they, they're just making yeah. a, an escape route for people who who fear based on race. Uh, you know, and, and income level, uh, and and it just—it's such a—it's it, so depressing. It's so depressing, man, to see him do it over and over and over again. Because let me tell you something: every time you say, "I'm going to take," "I'm going to allow these kids to get out of this failing school," you're not closing the failing school. You're leaving it yeah. open, and there are children in there that yep. you're now saying we got to pay extra to get these kids out of there, but we're going to leave these kids in there. Because their parents mm-hmm. don't have, I mean, forget whatever their parents are. Their parents may be drug dealers on the side at home and the worst human beings imaginable. But those right. are kids, man. That's right. That's those right. are kids. They didn't choose any of this, you know. They didn't choose their situations or circumstances. <sighs> and then on top of that, you have the audacity to say, and not only are we going to leave these children here, we're going to leave, we're going to under-resource the school. Yeah. And we're going to benefit from that in this new pristine environment that yeah. we're going to create over here. It's just patently immoral. Uh, it's just it's so immoral. awful, man, to, to see. I mean, to, to see some of these schools and I've been in them. I've been in them. I've been around them. I've talked to the teachers. I mean, to watch them. Uh, I mean, just uh, no textbooks, 40 kids clam- crammed into a classroom, you know, mm. and, and to expect that to work and. You know, and then to take resources away from those kids is just it's mind boggling to me it, it, how mm-hmm. anybody thinks that it's ever going to turn out OK. And, and to justify it is, well, I got to do something for my kid. Uh, you know, it's it's not it's not OK. It's not it's yeah. not, man. And and people have proven over and over and over again that you can fix it if you if you work hard enough at it uh, and provide the resources. It's a fixable problem. And, and we know it and we don't do it. So anyways, it's my rant. <laughs> There you go. So good rant, listen, man. I'm with yeah, you. And listen, 100%. if you're listening from the AEA, uh, I can rant for you like that as well. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh no, it's uh, those, uh, listen. I think they're good people, and 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 the teachers yeah. and, and stuff are, are trying their best, and and God bless them. I, I hope uh, mm-hmm. you know. I would like to see some tough job, man. It is tough job. All righty. Well, that's uh, listen. I don't know what else we can do for a show for you uh, other than that. All right. Um, you know, you got everything we gave you guidance for life, uh, you know, how to handle lying and not lying. Uh, we gave you a Pulitzer winner. Uh, and then at the end of it, we, we praise teachers. I don't know what else could we could do, really. Almost the perfect uh, episode. Almost. Yeah, right. <laughs> almost. Almost. We're still striving. Uh, all righty. That's going to do it for us. Until, uh, until next week, uh, y'all be safe out there. Peace. Peace.